What up, people? Top of the hour. That means 1 o'clock on the East Coast. Guy Adami here, always joined by Dan Nathan. Tuesday, May 18th. You're watching Market Call. You knew that. Today's Market Call brought to you by CME Group, Dan. That's, in fact, where risk meets opportunity. And I got to tell you something. Of all the taglines, I dig that. Somebody really came up with a winner there. And we are powered by Open Exchange. Follow them at Open Exchange TV on the Twitter. A lot of these things are coming to pass just the way you said they would a week or so ago in terms of the broader market. Here we are, a decent rally underway off that Thursday bottoming or seemingly uh, short-term bottoming formation. Danny. Well, guy, what do you what do you make of it when they call it risk on? Today's a risk on day. What do you, what do you, what do you like make of that terminology? You like it? You don't like it? What, you indifferent what, to it? What do you think? I think of something. I think like you that. hate it. I think yeah. you absolutely hate it. Okay, yeah. so today is a risk. Hey, on. judge, it's risk on today because <laughs> we were buying the dips and selling the rips. Bang, bang. Bang! Um, you didn't. You didn't mention that I. You know that that little. Uh, I, I had a head nod to the the heat seeker no, I heard last it. night. Yeah, yeah, I did no. hear it. I yeah, gave I just want to make sure the, I fired up the heat seeker here. All right. Well, here let's talk about this risk on market that we have right here. I mean, listen. I think you and I and we make this point again and again and again on market call. Okay. So right now we are particularly pessimistic um, about the outlook for the Fed to deliver a soft landing. Right. For the excesses of you know you would say twenty years of very easy monetary policy, but specifically the last two years where you've said the mistake, you know, the policy mistake was made long ago. And whether that's a year and a half ago or whether it's six months ago, whatever it is, or 20 years ago, that's fine here. But the idea that the S&P 500 down 20% at its lows last Wednesday or Thursday is going to encapsulate all of that at a time where we have 40-year high inflation, we have 40-year low unemployment, right? We have yields going up um, precipitously over the last year or so. We have a raging dollar. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, right? You and I are not in that camp. So what do we do with a day like today or a multiple day rally? You have to respect them. You have to let them breathe a little bit. I brought a chart of the S&P futures here, Guy, and I just need you to look at this year to date here. And I want to get your take. I mean, when you look at these legs lower that we've had, we've had three significant legs lower. They keep getting bigger, right? Now we've had some really big bounces, the, the kind of sell the rumor, buy the news after the March Fed meeting where we had that, you know, 11% rally. But then since then, you know, the peak to trough decline was about 16%. So we're in the midst of a little bounce here. We've had two little bounces over the last month. This is a really important kind of chart to get your arms around because I don't know, to my eye guy, maybe 4,200, 4,300 in the S&P futures, that's where you get some resistance here. Agreed. And if you, listen, we could draw a trend line down from those March highs and you would find that resistance would come in the form of exactly what you just laid out, 4,200 or so in the yeah. futures. And Listen, in terms of what, what our views are, we were overwhelmingly bearish into last week when everybody seemingly got bearish at the same time on Wednesday, specifically Thursday. That seemed to be a logical point to say, hey, wait a second, maybe everybody's on one side of the boat. No, by the way, you know, we had talked about 3750 being the support level in the S&P 500. Thursday's low was 3858. And we talked about it being close enough for government work. On the show that night, Fast Money, I said, look, you could probably see another 4 or 5% bounce from here. And that's what we're in the midst of. I think we are 6% or so off those lows we made intraday on Thursday. I think we have a few more percent to go. It's going to be fascinating to see how today closes. But as you mentioned earlier, I'll say it in my terms, um, the biggest rallies, the most mind-numbing, rip-your-face-off rallies, 
take place in bear markets. And quite frankly, yeah. I think that we that's what we find ourselves in, Dan. Yeah, I mean, listen, you and I, and, and I'm going to say to any of our listeners, viewers here right now, check out our On The Tape podcast. Danny Moses and I are uh, co-hosts. We interviewed Guy Adami. We got to where oh, like he him. came from, how he came into the business. And one of the reasons I want to say, so that's going to drop on Friday morning. So check that out in the podcast stores, people. It's called On The Tape. Um, it was an excellent conversation. We just taped it yesterday afternoon. But the reason I bring that up, Guy, is that you and I both came into the markets, you know, me 25 years ago, you a little more than that in the late 80s. And we were traders. We were looking at intraday moves. We were looking at the sort of catalyst that might move, you know, things, whatever. You were trading commodities back then. I was trading stocks, um, you know. But right now, you know, we have a trader's mindset, but we're also speaking, we know, to investors. We know that most, you know, investors who want to trade too frequently are going to get chopped up here. But it's important to kind of identify the sorts of levels and where you might see sentiment shifts. And I think that's what we're talking about here a little bit. Let's look at the one and a half year chart of the S&P futures, though, guy. When you think about this one here, you know, look at that to the penny almost of that late March 2021 low where we got down to. You just mentioned you were looking for 3750. It came maybe sooner than you thought it might. You have not gone away from that um, thought process here. You know, like if you think about where we were at the start of January 2021, we were just above 3,600. And I think you think that if we do go to your 3,750, there's a good chance that we overshoot to the downside. Yeah, and that comes in the form of probably 3,450, 3,500 without question. We've seen overshoots to the upside. My, th- my sense is you will see it here. But you look at that chart since December. And what you have is a series of lower lows and lower highs. And I just think that's what the formation we're in the midst of now. You know, we obviously trough last week. I think we're bouncing here. I don't think this bounce is going to be more than the magnitude of potentially 4,200, as you outlined earlier, in terms of the S&P. I'd actually be surprised if it got there. But that sort of lines up with the math we did last week. So here we are. And you're right to point out the difference. There is a fundamental difference between trading and investing. One of the things that I've said for years, and I believe this, I think you have to pick which one you are. I don't think you can be both because what winds up happening is a trade that goes awry winds up being an investment, which never works. An investment which goes well, you know, very quickly winds up becoming a trade, which also never works. You sort of that push me, pull you for you Dr. Doolittle fans. So. (laughs) Just make sure you know what hat you're wearing and act accordingly, Dan. All right. Well, I'm going to put my options hat on here for a second, guys. Well, I like that, too. This, you know, this... hats are fun. By the way, um, not to interrupt you, I apologize, yeah. but obviously the hat that everybody seems to be wearing right now, for good reason, would be the hat of the New York Yankees. Uh, they Oof. play in the Bronx, New York, currently a top Major League Baseball in terms of best records, playing at a 74% winning percentage, which is just ridiculous do that math dan and you have a 122 win team back to you yeah 26 and 9 every time i look up it looks like the yankees just won and, and your rangers your rangers are in the second round here so we're excited about that um you know i just wanted to mention that we have um you know op, uh, options expiration coming this friday and we know we've had a very volatile time and sometimes when you see big price movements over a short period of time where there were some strikes maybe in major indices um that you didn't think were in play that are in play you could get some volatility into the end of the week. And we have a VIX here, Guy. You and I were just talking about it before we came on. If you look at it from the fall, we've had a series of higher lows here, right? And the highs have all kind of topped out in the high 30s over the last um, few months or so. So 
maybe you see a continuation of the stock market rally, okay? And then you see a VIX come back towards that uptrend, which would be around 20, but that's probably where you reload um, if you think about it here. And I'm just curious, you know, like, you know, we're gonna talk about bond yields in, in a second, but guy, Thinking about the VIX and its way, maybe over the next few trading days, we do have Jerome Powell speaking this afternoon. I know that you are getting all geeked up about it and you're going to mm. want to keep this thing going, but he's speaking to the Wall Street Journal. You know, rates are moving higher today. And, and I know that you do not like the sort of bond volatility that we have in yields. You know, we're up like eight bips today at 2.96 in the 30 year. Look at this year to date chart of the S&P versus um the 10-year yield, you see that divergence. And one of the things that stocks did not like over the last month and a half was that precipitous move higher in yields from basically 2.4% to 3%. And that's really what got the stock market going lower. Are we going to see any funny business this afternoon, Guy? A couple things. So I think the rise in yields correlates with the rise in the market. I think, as I've said before, on off days, on selling days in the S&P or the NASDAQ, I think those are days where you find yields go down as we have sort of this flight to quality. Whether justified or not, it doesn't matter. That's what's happening. So in my opinion, nothing's changed fundamentally for yields to go higher other than the fact that the market's now rallied for the last two and a half or so days. And I think that's what you're seeing. In terms of bond volatility, it's really unprecedented the type of moves we're seeing. You, know, you mentioned eight basis points today. We've had 15 to 18 basis point days in the 10-year. doesn't make a lot of sense to me. In terms of the VIX quickly, I'm glad you brought that up because – Although lower than the recent highs, it's still elevated with a 26 handle. But I think, in my opinion, what you're going to see when the VIX gets down to, and I do think it's going to go down there, 23 and a half, 24, my sense is that will correlate with the S&P topping out. So low VIX, high S&P, that's when you start taking money off the table. And if you have the temerity to do so, start layering shorts again. So you have to keep a keen eye on the VIX. Not that you're trading it. Yep. It just gives you sort of levels as to where you can enter new trades on the short side, I would think. Yeah, and I agree with that analysis. So we got a couple things this week to keep it our eye out for. Um, you know, one thing I'd say is that when we do see yields moving higher, we've seen high growth tech, high valuation tech get hit really hard. We have the NASDAQ futures from their late March high guy. They went down 23% into their lows um, late last week. That corresponds with that pretty significant move that we saw in yields in the 30 year, obviously in the uh, two-year, uh, excuse me, in the 10-year and in the two-year. Um, so that was kind of interesting. When you look at the NASDAQ 100 futures, though, man, you know, it doesn't feel like a great bounce right here, guy. And if you're looking at that um, steep decline, you see that downtrend. So we're going to keep an eye on that. Maybe it's about 1260 or 12,600 or so. But look at that massive resistance level at 13,000. That was the breakdown level um, from a few weeks ago. It was also where the NDX futures held back in March. And so to me, I think that's a really important one to keep an eye on. Thoughts on the NDX, because I know you and I have been in agreement that we were waiting for the Apple to break 150. It went from 150 to 140. Microsoft gave it up a little bit. Um, Amazon's been a bit of a mess. But Apple is the one only down 16.5% of the year. The other three of the mega complex, the Microsoft, Apple, Google, and Amazon, are all down 20% plus. Well, all you need to know is, you know, Danny Moses, our co-host on On The Tape, he was in that movie, The Big Chill, which was fantastic, by the way. The soundtrack was just excellent. But one of the people featured in that book and subsequent movies, a guy named Michael Burry, I mentioned him because it was last summer that he pointed out that he was thought the ARK ETF was way too expensive. It was yeah. buying puts in that, buying puts in Tesla. 
Typically, he's early. In that case, he couldn't have been more spot on. I mentioned that because it was in the last couple of days that he mentioned he's actually buying puts in Apple. So think about that. Yeah. Um, this is somebody that has the, the world is his oyster in terms of what he can do. And he thinks one of the best trades right now is to buy Apple puts. Now, look, with that said, maybe he covered them last week when it traded down to 138.80. I don't know. But I'll say this. It's something to actually keep an eye on. And you have to wonder, is that going to be the last shoe to drop? And is that going to what takes the NASDAQ down this next leg lower? I think the answer is yes. I heard a lot of people over the last week and a half saying the right level for Apple to trade down to is somewhere between 115 and 120, which you've never heard people talk like that over the last five years in Apple. Now, all of a sudden, there's this quiet whisper of Apple bears coming out of the woodwork. And we'll see if it comes to fruition. Yeah. I think it will. And I think it takes the NASDAQ down with it. Yeah, I'll just say this, you know, real quickly. And you and I, you know, um, these 13F filings for for big fund managers, they pop up all the time. And, you know, that was a 13F on, on Michael Burry from, you know, March 31st, right? And we talked about it last night on Fast Money. I mean, the stock went from 150 to 180 in a straight line in that late March rally. And, you know, the, that disclosure was what he did prior to March 31st. So uh, it made a lot of sense to kind of lay that short out um, into that kind of rip there and to your point guy once it broke 150 maybe um that was probably a good case to to cover the short or sell the puts or whatever he had on there um let let's talk a little bit about the underperformance though in software the igv it's an etf that tracks you know some of the major um software names adobe is one of the largest microsoft's in their salesforce and then a bunch of other SaaS names this thing was down 43 percent guy at its lows um last week versus the nasdaq 100 that was only down 30 percent and you see that massive under performance you know look at that breakdown at three hundred dollars there um to new 52 week lows that was pretty disgusting if you look at it the low was 257 um just a few trading days ago so here we are at 276 300 we're kind of in the middle of that range there what's your take on on high valuation software because you and i mentioned it these are not the small names these are some of the really big names that were trading at crazy multiple to sales when you think about in adobe and the market cap that it had and what the multiple to sales it was trading at just a few months ago. Adobe at 9.5%, Microsoft, Salesforce. I mean, Oracle's in that group as well. Oracle's probably the only one you can justify in valuation. But this is interesting because Karen Feinerman has actually been short this as sort of a proxy hedge for some of her portfolio. Yeah. And that's worked out really well. But again, just to emphasize, it's not coincidence that this topped out late November, early December and started heading lower. Obviously, that's around the same time the Fed pivoted same time that people started to be concerned about valuations. And for many of those names, valuations made sense in a zero interest rate environment. I'm about to sneeze, so I apologize. They don't make, <laughs> excuse me, a lot of sense in the environment that we find ourselves in. But this too will find a bottom. But the move from basically, Dan, I think almost, what, 450, 448 and change down to yeah. 250. I mean, that's a pretty remarkable move in a six-month period of time. Yeah, let me ask you this, Guy. Are you a bless you or a gesundheit? What do no, you do? I, I said bless you, and yeah. you you have this fine Jesuit um, education, so I, I'm assuming that has something to do with it. But is gesundheit, is that like if you're an atheist, is that what you do? You just say gesundheit? I'm not really something? sure. Well, I mean, apparently that must be something of, from the German language. Not being German, I'm not really qualified yeah. to answer. I will say the, um, I think the, what I'm, the genesis of bless you is yeah. in a certain era, they thought when you sneezed, your soul was leaving ah. your body. 
Um, and that's why they would say God. Well, bless listen. You. Well, bless you, let's guy. I hope you your soul. Here on, see what I, you learn here on. I see. Oh, there. you almost called it Boomer TV. I saw I did. you do that. I, I, I caught myself. You did catch well, yourself. That's because I do things Tuesdays and Thursdays are just yes. a ridiculous amount of content we put out. But please uh, continue. You know, hey, listen. You know, it's all differentiated too. Um, all right, let's move to. I think some of the big news today was this retail spending. We had kind of previewed a couple big retail earnings today, but we had a hot retail spending number for um, April. You've said it again and again. I've heard you probably say it a hundred times on Fast Money over the last ten years. Don't confuse what. Give it to me, guy. Give it to me. Don't confuse the consumers want to spend, which yeah. they will always have, as their ability to spend. Yeah. Which over periods of time, we've seen they've been in position to spend, and they're in positions not to spend. And we've seen. Listen, just go look in credit card reports. I mean, people are levering yeah. up once again. That pendulum swings very quickly. So. People spend when they got their checks. They're yep. spending now. And quite frankly, credit's concerned. And if you don't believe me, on a day where the market's up significantly, we don't have a chart, but you can go to your Google machine and check it out. The HYG is actually making another 52-week low or right around one yeah. lower on the day. So something's amiss. Uh, credit is a concern. And again, that's sort of the foundation of everything. So to bring up the consumer is right. Yeah. They'll obviously spend, but right now I don't think they're really in a position to do such. And obviously with inflation where it is, I mean, that spending number goes up almost by definition. It's not like they're buying more. It's just what they're buying costs more. Yeah, well, I mean, the consumer credit data that we got from March, we saw that um, consumer credit was up 52 billion. That was one of the biggest one month gains in, I think, decades. And mm -hmm. it was also up about um, 15 uh, or 14 and a half percent year over year. And revolving credit in particular was up 21%. That was about 15 billion um, of that number. So we definitely want to keep a tra uh, an eye on that. So we had a hot retail number, a couple really different prints today. You know, Walmart guy, we talked about it yesterday with Carter a little bit, and we we know that who the Walmart consumer is. It might be one that is kind of more apt to use credit to maybe buy um, staples. You know, we had a very disappointing quarter. And for a stock of this size to be down 10% on earnings and guidance, you have to pay attention to this. Without This is the single biggest one-day downside move, I think. Please don't at me. But since 1987 wow. in Walmart, and it's an astronomical move now. Full disclosure, we talked about it on Market Call yesterday. I, act I actually thought Walmart set up incredibly well in the earnings. And I got to tell you something. I don't think it was so much the release as it was some of the concerns they have going forward. Specifically, slower growth in China because you think about what kind of growth engine that is. So when you ratchet down full-year guidance, obviously inflation is a concern for them as well. Um, they're on razor-thin margins. It all adds up to the move we're seeing today. Now, at a certain point, and it might be today, although there is that three-day rule out there. I think this thing capitulates to the downside. And we're going to have a huge volume day. I think it's already traded north of 25 million shares. So we'll see if that's a capitulation. But not good. And to your point, when a company the size of this and the importance of a Walmart says what they say, yeah. I mean, don't think it's just them. I mean, this is now endemic to the system. Yeah, and it's interesting. We have two charts here. We have a year and a half chart, and you see that kind of 130 level is probably a big level there. But you back it out on a five-year basis, and you see you got a, a nearly two-year consolidation between basically, I don't know, 130 or so, and maybe somewhere that looks more like 155. We had that recent breakout, but the failure, and that's a pretty bad failed breakout. But I agree with you. I think that you, know, you and I have been talking about, well, what's the one thing that needs to capitulate a little bit? And it needs to be consensus estimates for early 
earnings, either for individual companies, which obviously make up the whole. And so to see more companies like Walmart come out and reset the balance of the year, I think that's actually positive. And I would also look, you know, below 130. Maybe this is a name that you want to start to pick at. Um, Home Depot on the flip side, guy, this is one where, you know, you and Carter kind of nailed it yesterday. You're like, listen, when you see a company like Home Depot down about 30% from its recent highs, basically on macro sort of of tail you know of headwinds that sort of thing it's probably a good dude to be buying this stock here's a one year and a half stock and and this is one i think on valuation that also you know makes some sense it's but a lot more attractive i think than walmart which is trading north of 20 times into the print yesterday this is probably a market multiple so you have that move guy above 400 it got as high as 420 in the fall and it's really been acting very poorly um you know for the last few months Maybe that number is 250 to the downside guy. There seems to be a gap there. You back this thing on a five-year basis. You look at that low from early 20, uh, 2021, that was 250. You also see that breakout level um, that was about 250 from 2020. Is that a level that makes sense to you? Well, look, that 285 level, that horizontal green line, that's what we talked about last night on Fast Money. You know, I said, this is where I had trouble with at those January, February, back in 2021. It should theoretically be support, and it was. And I got to tell you something. When I saw the earnings release, I'm like, yeah, this actually is winding up exactly what we thought. I think the stock traded north of 310 or right around 310. It's given the entire move and then some back, which is not particularly encouraging. We'll see how the day shakes out and how it how it ends, but not a particularly good trading. And we say it all the time, good news, bad stock action. I mean, that's, again, all you need to know, because I do think the quarter was okay. Now, maybe, and I'm just saying maybe, obviously don't know, but maybe some of what Walmart said, people are saying, you know what, Home Depot's not going to be, they're not going to be insulated from that. And maybe that's what's going on here. I don't know. But again, good news, bad price action, NG. 285, that level through there, you're looking at that 250 level, um, you know, like a bullseye, I would imagine, like a magnet. And given the way it's trading today, Dan, I got to tell you something. It feels like we're probably headed there. Yeah, and, and listen again. This has a lot to do with rates and, and access to credit and, and and all that sort of stuff. And so, to me, um, obviously, Home Depot has something to do with the the, the, the home. Um, it's, it is consumer discretionary, but also the the housing dynamics where, where there was a lot of fixer upper sort of activity during the pandemic. So interesting that they beat and raise. It's interesting to see if that might be the last great quarter, um, which could set up for some difficult comps going forward. I want to talk rates for a second here, guy. Last night on Fest Money, we had a guy named Joe Zidel who. I think you would say does amazingly thoughtful work. Um, that is a guy Adami quote about people strategists that you like a lot. And I like uh, I like what do we call him? Jay Z. I Jay-Z. like Jay Z too. Yeah, he was Jay Z before Jay Z. All right, right. And he he's their chief investment strategist at Blackstone. Smart guy. I mean, there's a couple things I just want to talk about as we talk about rates here. So he thinks that the Fed, you know, the consensus right now, we have the CME Fed Watch tool right now showing that a, a, a greater than a 75 percent probability of a 50, 50 basis point hike. Okay, hike at the next meeting in June, and then a little less, a 75, uh, a little little less that, that they do 50 in July, okay? And, and Joe, J- Jay-Z was saying that he thinks that a lot of people are, are coming around to the thought that, you know, maybe they hit those two 50 basis point hikes and then they kind of step off a little bit. He thinks that we're going to see more right hikes in the future. Um, a lot of consensus, or, or I guess consensus has maybe one hike in 2023. But 
guy, but this is a big but, okay? But he doesn't see uh, unemployment going up meaningfully, and he doesn't see housing coming in meaningfully. And I just don't know how all of those things could be correct. And I'm just curious, because I said I respectfully disagree with that. I think that we are going to, all signs point that unemployment is going higher. We are basically back to the Mm pre-pandemic levels at 3.6%. And anecdotally, we're seeing lots of signs with mortgage rates having doubled the 30-year from basically 275 to 5.5 in just a matter of months that we're going to see housing slow down. So talk to me about this, and then let's talk about the th- uh, the 10-year yield. Now, look, all great points by you, and you pushed back last night correctly. What I said was, you know, it's clear people will say that Joe is talking the book of Blackstone, and they'll yeah. took at that as a negative. I actually say, yeah, they are talking their book. They become like the largest real estate holders on the planet in terms of what they've accumulated. But that doesn't mean talking their book's a bad thing. They actually believe it. I don't think they're trying to talk it to get things higher. I think they're saying what they believe. To answer the question, yeah, I think unemployment can tick higher, but how much more meaningfully higher? You know, a little bit north of 4%, which would still be sort of the low in terms of the historical levels. And in terms of housing, it really comes down to a supply-demand situation, which I don't think is going to rectify itself anytime soon. Now, the flip side of that coin is affordability has never been worse Obviously, prices need to come down, but I think his point is those things might um, they, they might modify a bit or might come back to some sort of reality, but it doesn't mean the housing market's going to crash. I think what he was basically saying, I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, you know, things might have gotten a little toppy, but it's not going away anytime soon. And I agree with that. Now, we will see, you know, if things do go pear-shaped in terms of the market, inflation continues to be a concern, that sort of flips the switch a little bit. But Right now, I understand what he was saying. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, so just just putting my two cents back into it, Guy, is that you've been saying even if inflation has peaked, we are going to see pesky and persistent um, prices, right? And so we have home affordability where it is. We have, you know, mortgage rates have gone where they are, right? We have unemployment. We know at unsustainable levels, and we're seeing anecdotally lots of high-tech companies starting to lay workers off or pull back um, their ambitions to hire more people. That's going to mean softer wages. Right. And so I think if you put all this together with the negative wealth effect from the stock market being down 20 percent at its lows last week, and if we were to have another leg, there is no way we avoid a slowdown or a softening in housing. So to me, you know, I just don't get that. But let's talk about this 10 year yield. Got it. I have a 10 year chart right here. You've been Johnny on the spot with the levels for a very long time now. Here we are. We got up into the uh, danger zone, if you will, north of 3 percent. We know the last time the uh, S&P went down 20% when we had a 10-year yield above um, 3% in late 2018. What's your take here on yields? You mentioned just a couple minutes ago, you see a flight to quality and risk off days where you see people buying U.S. Treasuries. That means yields come in. Is that going to be a trade if we continue to have a lot of chop in the markets? Yeah, I think so. So, I mean, I, I think today, again, to try to explain what's happening you know yields to me going higher today makes sense in terms of the market going higher so the trajectory has been right but again if i think this s p is going to exhaust itself which i do in another few percent i think that's when yields start going back down as you'll see this fight to quality and you know the red lines the horizontal red lines you drew that is in fact the danger zone for you top gun fans out coming out i believe on the 25th if i'm not mistaken which is in fact next week I will have my ass in a chair somewhere. Really? Oh, really? Absolutely. Really? Oh, my goodness. Uh, When's the last movie that you actually went to a theater to see? French Connection. 
Ah, really there you was, go. 1977. Yeah. Gene uh, Hackman. I mean, yeah. love Gene Hackman. Yeah. Just Popeye. All right, wait, Popeye wait. Doyle, who actually wound up being a bad guy if you go back and look, but that's neither here nor there. I will tell you this. that I have an obsession. I've lived in New York since 1996, New York City. I have an obsession with those 70s movies, whether it be Serpico, whether it be Dog Day Afternoon. The Seven took, Ups. Oh, that take that took place in the in the New York City. The city was so gritty, and it was like a character in all those movies. I loved them all, man. Um, all right, one last one last one here, guy. Last week on Market Call, and I almost <laughs> fell out of my chair a little bit. You Why talked about you talked about oh the banks, the banks. Yeah, you were warming up to the banks, um, and really, and we talked about it again. I just want to pull up this XLF chart. We know it's kind of funky. The largest um, holding in there is Berkshire Hathaway here, but look at that thing, guy. That's a five-year chart. You see where that pulled back to? Pulled back to that trend line of those highs that we've seen over the last five years. Obviously, the 2019 high and the 2017 high what's your take on banks here warren buffett obviously said uh over or in the 13 f's he took a very large stake in citigroup that's been a name that you've liked on valuation but you were cautious in given their exposure possibly to russia and and europe in general quick take on the banks before we get well i mean citibank which traded down almost uh, i think 74 percent of tangible book i mean which is just trough valuations i mean i understand what he's looking at there um, but the one we've mentioned a number of times, you know, J.P. Morgan, which was north of 2.6 times tangible book at its zenith, got back to sort of more normal levels when it traded down, I think, 116 or so, got down to almost 1.7 times tangible book. I mentioned that because that's a reasonable valuation and that's a valuation where things can start to build from. So I just started looking at the landscape, looking at the sell-off in a lot of the banks and the XLF and said, this might be a decent opportunity for a trade. Now, maybe I was a day or two early, but it's starting to come to fruition. And my sense is you're going to start seeing people upgrade some of these bank names. Again, I'm not saying these are long-term holds or anything like that, but for a trade, yeah. you, know, you could see 15 20% move in these banks very easily. You've seen it before, and I think you're on the precipice of seeing it again. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, listen, sentiment couldn't be worse, right? And they were one of the first groups uh, this year in 2020 or 2022 to act particularly poorly before, you know, a lot of like mega cap tech stocks started going down. All right, listen, guy, I know we got to get out of here because you got to get in the proper seat to take in that entire Jerome Powell, um, you know, uh, conversation that's going to happen at two o'clock here. I know you're kind of breathless with anticipation here, buddy. I mean, another zero. I'm, I, you know, I'm sure he's a lovely guy. I'm sure they're all lovely individuals. Um, yeah. But I have, I, you know, I have no, no time, no, no time. affection whatsoever. Uh, for any of these Fed officials, I have a deep amount of affection for you. Thank for you, Brendan. For Stu Gotts from Boston, of course, for Amanda Diaz, who just kills it day in and day out. And, and I have a tremendous amount of affection for everybody that's been tuning in each and every day for Market Call, Dan Nathan. That's what I have affection for. I also try to be respectful of the clock. And at one thirty-one, I will say that's it for Market Call on this Tuesday. May 18th, Guy Adami, Dan Nathan. We're going to catch you tomorrow at 1 p.m. I think Carter Braxton Worth will be joining us. I want to thank CME Group, which kills it, where risk meets opportunity. And check out our friends at Open Exchange. They're powering us. They're at Open Exchange TV on the Twitter later. Oh, before we get out of here, Mets playing a twin build today at Shea. They drop them both. Hasta la vista. Yeah. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.